On the fruitnet.com audio edition this month, Enza reviews its decision to host a big bash in Berlin after Chief Executive Jeff Hipkins takes his directorial clout a bit too far. Tesco heralds the dawn of a new era in supply chain integrity as it sets to work on a new door for its food safety stable. And while Argentina celebrates the appointment of its new Pope and the continued brilliance of the world's greatest footballer, for the country's fruit exporters, things appear to be, quite frankly, decidedly messy. Hello everyone, I'm Mike Knowles, I'm the editor of Eurofruit magazine, and with me uh, on the podcast this month is Michael Barker, he's the editor of the FBJ. Hi Michael, how are you doing? Hi Mike, I'm doing great, thanks very much. Good stuff. Uh, What have you been up to this week, Michael? Well, mainly uh, enjoying the cold and suffering along with our fruit producers who've been uh, deluged under unseasonable snow this weather. It has been incredibly cold and most of our uh, Easter eggs came frozen this time round. Would you call it unusual or is it just one of these things that happens every now and then? I think this is what people are calling the new normal, Mike, where uh, unusual weather is the thing to be expected. I think the days when we get a sunny April and it lasts all the way through to September are long gone, or perhaps I'm just remembering something that never actually happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's certainly in tune with our uh, austere times, I suppose. Uh, I'm greatly looking forward to going down to uh, Chile uh, in a couple of weeks for the uh, Global Berry Congress, which we, of course, uh, organise. It's a good time to go to the Southern Hemisphere, I think, assuming it's not going to be cold down there as well. Well, I tell you what, we've just been looking at the weather forecast from Argentina where they've had flooding in La Plata and people literally digging themselves out from five feet of water. So, fingers crossed that won't be the case in Chile and you'll have a bit of sunshine there. I hope not. I hope not. Right, well, we've got a few stories to get our teeth into um, and the idea of the pod is really just to take um, two or three stories that really we're interested in and uh, hopefully you, you out there will be too. Um, the, the one that springs to mind straight away uh, really is, is quite an incredible story that has been very much at the top of our readership figures uh, on the website uh, and uh, on fruitnet.com and that's this crazy story about Jeff Hipkins in, in, uh, uh, in Berlin and what he got up to. Jeff Hipkins, to explain to those who don't know, uh, is the uh, uh, former chief executive now of uh, Enza Turners and Growers, the New Zealand export company. Um, and, well, basically we heard early on in, uh, uh, in March that he'd got himself into some trouble in Berlin um, and ended up uh, in, a, in a fight, in a physical fight with uh, one of his colleagues who uh, so far has remained nameless. I don't suppose that will come out, will it, Michael? Uh, I wouldn't have thought so, but hopefully he's, uh, he's fully recovered from the incident and uh, has no doubt got quite an anecdote to tell his friends. I would have thought so. I mean, Jeff Hipkins, um, I interviewed him uh, once uh, via email uh, down to New Zealand and once in person just a couple of days before the fateful evening. and uh, It could have been you, Mike. It could easily have been me, and I, I guess I've dodged a bullet there. He, he was certainly a formidable uh, character. I wouldn't say uh, combative in terms of his interview technique. If anything, he was trying to be nice, looking back. Uh, and, uh, but re- really, he was quite forceful in terms of denying um, that there was any problem with his leadership of the company and yet lo and behold a couple of days later he'd uh, managed to piss off one person too many and uh, and he l- landed a punch 
or, or landed a kick or a combination thereof, and uh, he was on his way out, punching out for the last time, yes, as we put it in the magazine. Uh, um, so there we go. But um, what, what does this tell you about the, the perils of uh, trying to employ the right person in a fresh produce business? It's a tricky thing to do, isn't it? It is a tricky thing to do, uh, but uh, it's not the first time we've heard of a case like this. I remember a few years ago going to an awards night, uh, the kind of genteel environment where you would expect everybody to be getting along. It's a huge punch-up in the, in the foyer of the hotel. And I, and I particularly remember coming down the next morning, because uh, I stayed in the hotel as well, and uh, they were still shampooing the blood out of the carpet uh, by the reception area. Wow. So clearly this is not, uh, not a, a unique occurrence. So the, the, the clean uh, and, and healthy reputation that the fresh produce business has uh, for consumers isn't necessarily the same behind the scenes. It's not I mean, indeed, no. But of course it's not just fresh produce. Also, I went to a similar awards for, for the turkey uh, night and I, I digress slightly here. I happened to be sitting on a table full of uh, Bernard Matthews executives and uh, I'd been on the judging panel uh, and basically... Bernard Matthews lost in every category. They were up for eight awards, <laughs> lost one after the other, and I was sort of sat there between the chairman and the chief executive feeling like I was about to get stuffed like a turkey, frankly. Uh, but there was a similar sort of incident there. It, not, not a Bernard Matthews person, I should point out, for legal reasons, but someone else that uh, lost control of their faculties, started a fight, threw up over themselves and got thrown out. Wow. So it's, it's often the way... and. Uh, Alcohol is normally involved, and I, I suspect it was in uh, in Jeff Hipkins' case, allegedly. Um, is is there are there other people that spring to mind that you have interviewed in the fresh produce business uh, who um, you think are in in the same kind of ilk? There are, of course, without naming names, there are some there are some people you just think. I just don't want to ask the wrong question here. Mm. You know, you know from the moment they shake your hand, and you uh, there's there's one individual who shall not be named, who I refer to as uh, Bone Crusher, due to the fact that uh, you almost pass out when you shake his hand, and you think probably best not to put the wrong question to him, or at least leave it to the end of your list before you uh, mm. before you put it to him. Mm. On the way out to the car park, yeah, as, exactly. As he shouted as from you shake hands. Yeah, uh, I remember Chris White, our MD, and I we went to Florida. Uh, a few years ago, and we went and saw some of the uh, citrus packers in Indian River. Mm. And uh, one of these guys was larger than life and also larger than uh, most normal human beings. <laughs> and uh, halfway through our interview, which was quite, quite full on, um, a, a buyer from a leading UK supermarket came in and announced his arrival. And uh, this, uh, this, this, uh, this guy from Florida said, uh, Hey, why didn't you call me, dickhead? I didn't know you were in town. And uh, Chris and I just looked at each other and thought, well... Did you uh, come back to him and say, if I'd called you dickhead, you wouldn't have appreciated it? <laughs> Unfortunately, we weren't, too, we weren't quick enough. <laughs> we weren't quick enough. That would, that would, have, been, uh, that would have been a good comeback. Uh, anyway, we digress slightly, but the, the, the point being that this is rather an unusual case yeah. in, in the fresh produce business for somebody, A, to be involved in... Uh, a, a violent episode, and secondly, uh, you know, to to um, to get the boot, which um, you know, uh, uh, from his rugby days, um, Jeff Hipkins was used to, but uh, being kicked into touch himself, uh, maybe not. Um, I, I think the question, really, if we if we've got our professional hats on, is what this means for uh, Enza Turners and Growers. In reputational terms, they you know they've been bought out 
last year uh, uh, by Baywar, yeah. uh, the, the German conglomerate. And uh, part of what they were doing with introducing Jeff into the mix was to um, stir things up. They removed a whole rugby team's worth of uh, management and uh, they wanted to change the way the business was going. Um, where this leaves them now, I know they've employed some very good people, um, but have they got the right people at the very top to um, reassure suppliers, for example, um, to reassure customers, uh, and generally just to reassure all their employees that, that they're going in the right direction? Um, that's, that's not to question it, but I'm sure some people in the trade uh, themselves are questioning it. Um, the other point about this is, um, really from a journalistic point of view, is that New Zealand seems to be providing us with a rich seam of um, quite unusual stories. And the other one that came to, uh, came to pass this month was the fact that one of uh, Zespri's senior directors is wanted in China. Now, um, we, we don't wish that on anybody, but um, this is uh, kind of the aftermath of uh, the smuggling case. They were convicted of... Uh, of smuggling or, or of uh, misrepresenting the cost of uh, product going into China, one of their biggest markets, one of their most promising markets. Uh, and Yu Jian Chen, who is the global director of marketing and sales, um, used to spend a lot of time in China and now doesn't. He's, he's back in Taiwan, which is his, his uh, uh, place of birth. Um, and the, the conclusion we've drawn is that actually he won't be coming back. He won't be coming back to the company. Mm. Well, I think what it does show, as much as anything else, without you know uh, predicting the outcome of this particular case, is the, the the rise in cases of fraud and smuggling that we are seeing at the moment. You know, in the pages of our magazines, almost on a weekly basis, we're seeing more and more cases of, of fraud, of uh, things being passed off or mislabeled. Obviously, we know about the horse meat scandal, but in fresh produce, it's happening as well. There was the uh, the chap from World Flowers who's been convicted. There's uh, obviously the famous Sainsbury's potato corruption case. Mm. There's been a whole raft of, of cases of, of fraud that are taking place in the industry. And I think to some extent this is probably just the tip of the iceberg. And it's just that people are now starting to switch on to it and look out for it. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we don't see a lot more of these cases coming to light. Mm -hmm. and, and so maybe the, the trade is finally cleaning its act up. I mean, you... you you guys on, on, the, uh, on the news desk of Fresh Produce Journal, you've joked that pretty much every week there's a crime story. You yes. almost need a page dedicated to it on, on a, on a yeah. weekly basis. Um, I, I was once told, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, that Europe was the centre of the world in terms of cartels. And I was quite surprised by that. I thought yeah. we were all squeaky clean, but clearly not. Yeah, you would, you would, you would think so. But, um, I mean, the number of shipments as well, Fresh Produce is a big favourite in terms of uh, cocaine or heroin being hidden in shipments of pineapples or whatever. Mm. But I think what it does show is that, that, that people are starting to get on the lookout. We actually had a call from a, a police constable. Uh, or was he an inspector? I, I, mm. I'm not giving him his fair title. <laughs> I, think, I think he was far more senior than that. Uh, he called us up to, to thank us for, for running one of the stories on crime because somebody else had then phoned him up and reported a similar crime at another fresh produce company. So I mm. think what it what it is, it's good news that it's getting out there and people are talking about it now and hopefully it can be rooted out because obviously it is in the minority but, but it's not doing anybody any favours. Mm. Well the, the question of whether it is a minority leads us neatly on to our next uh, story um, which on the surface of it is not a fresh produce story and that's the, the, the horse meat scandal um, which has 
you know, it's affected not just our country, but, you know, countries across Europe. Um, the trade itself has um, blamed it on criminality, and clearly they want to distance themselves from uh, something which the consumers see as endemic. You know, they, they see this and they think, well, the whole supply chain is broken. Mm. Um, and uh, Tesco, one of the, the most high-profile casualties of this uh, whole episode, has launched an enormous PR push uh, in the wake of the scandal. Um, I noted that, that Philip Clark, um, a couple of weeks ago, went to Belfast and he officially unveiled, um, what was it? It was the Institute for Global Food Security, mm. which kind of smacks of... Um, shutting the stable door after the horse meat has bolted. Very good. Or someone has bolted down the horse meat. Um, th this is a big deal, isn't it? It's a huge and deal. And what does it mean for fresh produce? It's a huge deal. And I, I was at the NFU conference a couple of weeks ago, and I've, I've never seen, in the 10 years I've been covering fruit and veg, I've never seen a supermarket boss in such apologetic form as Philip Clark was. He, he, he all but apologised for the supermarket's treatment of, of farmers. He said, we've got it wrong, we've not treated you fairly enough, and here's a whole raft of initiatives that we're going to do to make things better. Now, on the one hand, you're thinking, if he hadn't turned up with that, he probably would have got lynched because there were a thousand angry farms in the crowd. Mm. But on the other hand, I think it's a sign that supermarkets are realising that they've got to act in a different way. He promised the appointment of an agriculture director. He promised uh, closer supply chain working, the establishment of sustainability working groups between growers and buyers. He talked about minimum two-year contracts for every supplier that won them. This was a really significant reaction to the, to the, to the loss of faith, public faith in the supply chain, I think. And it's going to have a knock-on effect of being good news for suppliers in the, in the fresh produce industry mm -hmm. if these get rolled out right across the sectors. And supermarkets realise they've got that responsibility now. Mm. Now, a cynic would argue that Tesco is not going to do anything unless it helps the company make more money or it helps the company preserve its market share. We always talk about market share and uh, you know, the, the, the news that Sainsbury's is clawing some back from Tesco is always big news. Yeah. Um, in this particular instance, I mean, you and I have reported on things like um, Tesco uh, going more direct on fruit. Yep. So they now do bananas direct. They're doing far more of their apples direct than they ever have before. Uh, they're looking at things like citrus as well to try and streamline those supply chains. And um, you had Andy Blackett, is that right, From uh, yes. who is the senior vegetable buyer of tes at Tesco, um, talking about going more to loose product. Yes. That's a, that's a significant change in the supply chain that it is. E evidently will be of benefit to them, not just consumers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've obviously done their research. Um, you know, Tesco doesn't do anything without uh, it being modelled on what, what they think the consumer wants. And, um, you know, this is a really significant shift, I think, also for suppliers in terms of the way they're going to have to put it together. But I think there's a feeling that, that if they do more loose product, it, it gives you more that sort of greengrocer feel, that back-to-nature feel, that, that sort of that whole retro throwback to how things were in a better time kind of thing that we're seeing right across supermarkets at the moment. And Andy Blackett spoke about the fresh produce department being the window for the rest of your store. And clearly they see that if you can, you've got this fantastic loose offering, you can pick up the produce, you can touch it, you can smell it, hopefully not too much, put it back. 
and uh, and you know it, it it lends your trust to the aisle, and they're going to be putting more growers' faces and provenance information on the packs and on the, uh, the point of sale information, uh, and it's all about regaining the consumers' trust and making them feel like this is a place they belong to be. Hmm. But what's your feeling? You know, isn't that all just PR guff at the end of the day? What's your what's your feeling on what they're actually doing behind the scenes? I think they do, well. Obviously, everything's done with a commercial uh, purpose, as you said. If if they didn't think it was going to sell, they wouldn't do it. You can be absolutely sure about that. And to be honest, it's all gonna, if it doesn't if it doesn't work, they'll be back in prepacks before you can before you know it. Mm. That's absolutely sure. Mm. Uh, well, this you know this question of loose it, it struck me that actually. It could be easier to ship produce uh, into a loose format because you just bring it in in bulk. Uh, you have a larger receptacle, a larger container out in the back of the store, and all you have to do is say to the guy in the in the department, "Just keep filling, just keep filling it up." You don't have to worry about packs and lining them up on the shelves. You, you don't have to worry about the bags and um, how you're going to fit them in. Um, this seems to me a, 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 a development that benefits Tesco commercially and, and in terms of streamlining its supply chain, it which does. it has clearly stated it will try to do. But there's all staff training is going to have to be crucial for that because it's not just picking up a bag and, uh, and dumping it on the shelf anymore. They're going to actually have to handle the produce. Uh, growers have always spoken about the last 50 yards with a huge amount of frustration where they've, where they've lovingly grown this product, they've supplied it in pristine condition to a supermarket and then some untrained person in the store hasn't handled it properly and, and the quality has deteriorated. So I think Tesco and other supermarkets are aware of this and you, you can see it, you know, Sainsbury's have spoken about retraining their, their, their shop floor staff to understand products better, uh, Tesco the same, we know Morrison's are doing it with the Market Street concept, they're all understanding that, that you can't just suddenly expect their staff to know what to do with it and they've got to train them as well. Okay, let's move on Michael. Um, Let's move to the, the kind of the first 50 yards of the equation of, yep. the, of that supply chain. We, we um, covered Argentina quite extensively over the last few years. Um, it's, it's not necessarily that big hitting player like Chile is uh, out of Latin America. It, it, it doesn't um, quite operate in terms of that scale, but it certainly is a, a key partner for um, places in Eastern Europe, for example, in Russia. Uh, it has turned its attention to uh, China and emerging markets there as well. Um, but they face a big problem largely of their own making, uh, which is this question of uh, foreign exchange. Can you explain a bit more? Yeah, I mean, Argentina generally uh, creates its own problems. It's a country that uh, should be at the forefront of world affairs. They've got every type of landscape from, you know, subtropical conditions in the north down to sub-Antarctic wildlife in the south and everything in between. They've got every natural resource, oil, gas, you name it, they've got it. But somehow successive governments seem to manage to, uh, frankly, screw everything up and, uh, and, and make a complete mess of what should be one of the best countries in the world. And I think this is yet another example. The government at the moment, with arguably some good intentions, is trying to put the focus on boosting the domestic market. But one of the measures they've put in place is that they're not really allowing people to exchange currency to any great extent. Anyone that's importing products into the country has to export products to an equal value, which is making an absolute headache for producers. For instance, if a fruit producer is importing pesticides or seeds 
or any of the other things needed for their production, they will have to make sure that they're exporting fruit to an equivalent value. Uh, we're finding their executives are going abroad to try and trade, get to airports, can't take any money out. It's an absolutely absurd mm. situation mm. that's been brought on by, by the government of Cristina Fernandez uh, de Kirchner, uh, who is frankly showing some rather erratic behaviour. Um, I, I noted uh, in, in your piece in the Fresh Produce Journal last week that, you, uh, that they've increased the, the levy on credit card pay, payments outside the country. So yeah. if you're an Argentinian and you're on business, uh, you, you have now have to pay a 20% fee, is that right? As opposed yeah. to 15 before. Yeah. Um, I did wonder whether this applies to, uh, well, to Lionel Messi when he's uh, <laughs> going down the Ramblers in Barcelona, or indeed uh, the new Pope. I don't know if his... Banking affairs are, are, are I, I, subject to Argentinian control. If, certainly, if Lionel Messi's got any sense, he won't have a peso bank account. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, funnily enough, uh, for, for many years, they, uh, they sort of looked at him and said, you know, you're not really a real Argentinian, you've, you've grown up in Barcelona, mm. you know, mm. we don't really trust you, you never really perform for the Argentinian team. They're finally starting to embrace him. Now he's actually scoring some goals for Argentina. Yeah. He must yeah. be worth something to them. Yeah, I think he is. And you can see that, funnily enough, um, Christina, President Christina, she was uh, not, not particularly on good terms with, uh, with the Pope until he became elected Pope, and suddenly now she's his best friend. So, so suddenly uh, all is forgiven. Yeah, she's um, uh, no doubt pushing the uh, Falklands agenda t- to him as well. Of course. Well, we, we won't... We won't discuss the Falklands. I think that's probably best left for another day. But the important point here is that for other Argentine nationals uh, who are on business in the fresh produce trade, um, it, it's a it's a big deal. I know. I saw some um, very long faces um, in Hong Kong last September. There there were some uh, um, guys from Argentina there looking to do more business, uh, looking at, at Southeast Asia, looking at China. Uh, looking to sell more fruit, um, but really um, laid low in in terms of their outlook yes. uh, by the fact that there's this black market for um, for pesos. There, there's a huge problem with foreign exchange, and um, it's become very very expensive for them to grow and export fruit. I think it's a tragedy. Just you know, this is just such a fantastic country producing fantastic quality produce and they're just saddled with bureaucracy and it must be really frustrating when they look over the uh, over the border at what's been happening in Brazil in the last 10 years, a country that's just grown and grown and grown and, and is starting to really impose itself on the world stage. They've got the Olympics, they've got the World Cup. Uh, Argentina continues to be saddled with these these uh, political problems that constantly seem to afflict uh, Latin American countries. Do you think there are signs that Things can improve. I know there was some, there was some recovery in the uh, volume of fruit shipped from Patagonia mm. uh, in the first part of this year, uh, basically uh, drawn by markets which had less fruit. So Eastern Europe, Russia had less fruit of its own this time round. So mm. uh, you know, particularly on things like apples. Yeah. Um, w- where does Argentina go from here? I mean, a, a change in the politics can always uh, precipitate uh, improvement, but in terms of what business people do, where, where, where are they look, looking? I think the good, the good thing, at least for the fruit trade, is that they are uh, predominantly an exporting uh, country. They produce enough for their domestic market already. So they don't face the same problems that 
that some of the other producers, some of the other big agricultural producers in the country are facing. At least they export more than they import, so they haven't got that to quite the same extent, that balance. Uh, we're also seeing some local elections coming up in Argentina later this year, and I think we'll probably see some of those policies relaxed in an attempt by the government to make sure that they win enough votes, because uh, there's quite a lot of unpopularity and, and demonstrations in the streets at the moment. So we'll probably see a relaxation of that policy. But I think for the medium term, uh, these problems aren't going to go away. Okay. Thanks, Michael. Well, um, should we move on? Uh, we've discussed our main stories in detail, but how about we move on to um, some of our messages and tweets, uh, which we've kind of hastily uh, cobbled together here. But uh, the, just going through, um, you know, some of the some of the uh, more interesting stuff on Twitter uh, related to the fresh produce business. Our, our colleagues at the moment are down in, uh, or should I say, down across and down in Bangalore, at Fresh Produce India, the conference that we run down there. Um, and there's there's been some very interesting things coming out of there. One one fact I pulled out was that um, New Zealand uh, only has 391 apple growers. How many in India, Michael? How many do you reckon? Well, let's say so. New Zealand's got 391. I'll go for a thousand. I'll give you a clue. It is bigger. Bigger than a thousand. Yeah, it's bigger than a thousand. Twenty thousand. Uh, would you believe it's 200,000 apple that growers? That is extraordinary. Now, that, that my friend, is fragmentation uh, writ large <laughs> uh, in, in the apple business. Uh, that was um, Alan Pollard, who's the head of Pit Fruit New Zealand. He was speaking at Fresh Produce India. Uh, and John Hay, uh, our editor um, on Asia Fruit, uh, retweeted that. Some other tweets. Uh, Tom Cast, who is the uh, national editor of The Packer, um, revealed that Mexico's wages are lower than China. I think I say revealed. I think he passed on a Reuters uh, story there. Mexico's hourly wages are about a fifth lower than China's, a huge turnaround from just 10 years ago when they were nearly three times higher, according to new research by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Um, of course, we don't always believe what bankers say, do we? No, but, almost um, never, but that, I mean, that's an extraordinary statistic. I, I, that's I easy for you to say, Michael. <laughs> I can't claim to be an expert in Mexico, but I would have certainly assumed that... Uh, they were earning more than the Chinese, but perhaps that's just a sign of the, the strengthening Chinese economy. Mm -hmm. um, moving on, uh, Fruchtandl, um, the, the German weekly, um, they've uh, revealed that Freshwell Europe has called on the EU to improve the European school fruit scheme. Now, um, we um, would be here for another hour, Michael, if we yeah. go into uh, the, uh, the various uh, aspects of uh, European bureaucracy. Um, but the school fruit scheme, you know, generally we believe it's a good idea. We believe the, it's a good idea. But the funding of yeah. free fruit for children. Yes, yes. Um, I think we've seen some rather, to put it politely, haphazard uh, schemes coming out of the EU when it comes to these sort of fruit and veg schemes. Uh, they seem to pick four or five countries. Uh, you go to those countries, no one's ever heard of these schemes. Um, I don't think they're working. I don't know, I don't know what's... I don't know what they're trying... To, well, I know what they're trying to achieve, I mm. just don't think they're achieving it. Mm. I mean, you only need to look at the consumption stats, which are thoroughly depressing. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, there's another tweet here, which is um, from the CSO in Italy. They, they've um, just revealed there was a 2% uh, decrease between 2005 and uh, last year in, in the volume of uh, fruit and veg that Italians are eating. Now, Italians are famously healthy, famously yeah. uh, have a Mediterranean diet, and yet they're... They're scraping 8 million tonnes of 
uh, fruit and veg into their gobs. Um, well, you go to Italy a lot. What do you, do you, going you, down. Have you noticed this change? What, what would you put it down to? I, I would say uh, there is a, a notable difference in the style of eating among professionals. So, so the younger generation, as has happened here, probably quicker and sooner, um, have less time to uh, dedicate certainly to lunch. Um, you see, I mean, I would, I would say when I lived in Rome, which was uh, 2001, um, not many people as today would have known what a sandwich was. You know, a, a, a tramezzini, there is a word for it, but really uh, the concept of grabbing a bite to eat for lunch yeah. was not really as, uh, as widespread as it is now. Um, the benefit for the fresh produce trader has, of course, been um, in, in terms of convenience products. You, you look at um, Linea Verde, who's mm. a, a brilliant marketer of, of salads and fresh convenience products. They've done extremely well. Uh, I know that Chiquita are opening fruit bars in Italy as well, mm. um, but it really is. Uh, I think there's a, there's a change in terms of the style of uh, of eating, um, and also the economics of it in Italy and other places across Europe are making people waste less, yeah. um, changing the way that people buy. So they literally grab less from the shelf. Mm. Um, they they don't just uh, fill their bags full of. Uh, Tomatoes, they they will take a smaller bag. Um, so there we go. But the, you know that's um, if we get back to the, the the school scheme, I think that there are two things that really stand out there. I think there's a lack of support from retailers, which is understandable because they have their own market share to defend and they have their own vested interest. Um, and also, just as you've alluded to, the fact that it isn't really joined up. It it is a European scheme, but. Uh, the Italians, uh, the, the, the Spanish, uh, the Germans, they, they are working on their own patch and yeah. they are working pretty much with products that are from their own countries. Um, that, that's what they're promoting first and foremost. Um, lots of people have criticisms of it and uh, we, we, we can't really get into the detail unfortunately here, Michael. But, um, well, there is a project that's taking place in Milan and other places. Um, the food dude scheme. It started out in Ireland and mm. is now in every school in Ireland. Mm -hmm. uh, there are several projects taking place in the UK, in the United States, and in Italy, as I mentioned. And uh, certainly, speaking to Fergus Lowe, Professor Fergus Lowe of Bangor University, who's uh, who's the, the the brains behind this scheme, he's absolutely convinced that that this is the way forward, and that, that not just giving a kid a piece of fruit or vegetable every day is going to make any difference. Mm. His scheme is all about uh, reward and encouragement. It's about uh, he's, he's got a series of sort of cartoon characters. If you haven't seen them, that that they all have superhero abilities. You know, all driven by their uh, consumption of fruit and vegetables. Mm. And this scheme sort of lasts over a, a period of years, rather than just uh, handing out a box of fruit and vegetables every day. Mm -hmm. and, and he's absolutely convinced that this is the way to change long-term consumption. So it'd be interesting to see the results of his trial which I think are due to report from the Milan trial anytime soon. Okay, well we'll, we'll be chasing him up. I remember fondly uh, Lawrence Swan uh, introducing us to the food dudes a few years back at the Fresh Congress. Yes. And uh, Lawrence was always a great supporter of, uh, of uh, getting people to eat more fresh fruit, uh, so much so that he always wore a fruity tie. <laughs> it, it, which uh, which started uh, started off our, our um, kind of in-house game of 
um, who could spot the most fruity tyres at Fruit Logistica, um, <laughs> which is a, a game that uh, certainly a few of us still play. Um, so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, look out for that one next, <laughs> next February. Um, okay, well, I think that's all we have time for. One last uh, mention I wanted to make there was that uh, news just across our desk this morning that Miguel Gonzalez of uh, uh, Fruit has uh, decided to sell his 30% share. Miguel was a very well-known and very respected um, member of the fresh produce trade and I, I suspect people will be very keen to know what he does next so uh, of course we will be attempting to find out um, and uh, maybe we can report back next time thanks very much for listening to the fruitnet.com audio edition we'll be back next month